Amen. We so appreciate our men and women that have paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And uh, thank God for their lives. And we remember it this weekend. We don't take it for granted. And for you that are currently serving in our armed forces, thank you so much for your service and dedication to our country. Today, I start a new series. And Andrew Clark, I messed up the TV really bad. And the screens are not, it's not coming. If you, if anybody can come down here and fix this thing, it would be awesome. Can you just jump from right there, Andrew? I, I, I feel like Jesus will catch you and help you. Andrew will help. Today I start a series in, in Nehemiah, and I heard, I heard even a guy say this week that the, the Old Testament is irrelevant and you can't learn anything from it anymore. And I would beg to differ that, and we're going to learn through Nehemiah, an Old Testament hero, an Old Testament leader, maybe the greatest leader that's ever, that's ever lived. And if you, uh, you say, well, I'm not a leader, if you have influence, you're a leader. That's what leadership is. So if you influence kids, you're a leader. If you influence anybody, you are a leader. And this is Andrew Clark, which is a leader amongst leaders. And I jacked it up, and he's going to fix it. Don't you love this? And we're like live streaming right now, so to God be the glory and for all he has done. But there, oh, give it up for Andrew. Now, will this work? This will work. Appreciate you, man. You are a good, good brother. Here's the words of Nehemiah. It's in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And, and we'll kind of break it down. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakali. Nehemiah, he's the one that authored the book. So we're going we're gonna to dissect, study, look at his story. And he's the one that, as it went along, he's the one that penned it. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, that's like our November, our December and, and, and why do I even say that? In the city of Susa, that's modern-day Iran. Why would, why would these details, Kislev, Hakali, Susa, why would that even matter? Because it's a real place in a real time with real people. This isn't a story that was just plucked out of somebody's imagination. This really happened. And history, not only biblical history, but history records the events of, of these cities and these places and these things. So, so they do matter. And, and Hananiah, one of my brothers, Nehemiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. They've traveled about a thousand miles, a two-month two -month journey by camel to get to Nehemiah for this. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So I don't want to bore you, but I need to give you some Old Testament history. You know it, but let me piece it together. Many of you do. Let me just sum up, get from here, get from Genesis to here really quick. You remember in the beginning, God, God was. God was before all. He is all. He'll always be. It's, it's, the, it's the power and the might of Almighty God. God's always been. And, and God created Adam and Eve after he created them six days, he created, created Adam and Eve for the, for the purpose of having fellowship with them, for the purpose of communicating, connecting with them. Well, they, they couldn't stay on track. They did the one thing he didn't say to do, and it brought a disconnect. It brought, it brought, a, it, it birthed in them a sin nature. It caused, it caused God and man to be divided. And from that time, it, it has been like that. And, and the hearts of men have, 
have constantly drifted and, and drifted away. And so they got so bad in Genesis 6, God said, I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to wipe everybody out and start all over except for Noah. Noah fears me, walks with me. I'll spare him and his family. But I'm wa- wa-. And so he sent a flood, and he wiped out the entire population. And Noah and his family began to repopulate the earth. And then when we get to Genesis chapter 11, it's bad again. And they're building a tower. They're trying to be God and get to God. And God says, man, I got to do something about this. So he, 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 he changes their language and he throws them into this, this uh, verbal uh, chaos and confusion. And, and people get scattered. And God, he's all, his heart, his all, I just want a people. I want to show my word. I want to declare my glory through, a, through people. I want people to recognize who I am. And so he went to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to, I know you're 75 years old, but I'm going to give you a son, and through you, I'm going to raise up a nation that I can love on and that I can bless, and all nations are going to know that I am Jehovah God because of my dealings with you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing. And then 25 years later, at 100 years old, Sarah's just a spry 90, his wife. They have a kid, and his name is Isaac, and Isaac has a kid, and his name is Jacob, and God changes Jacob's name to Israel. This is my, here's the the promise is coming about. Here is Israel, and I'm going to bless, I mean, I'm going to fight for you, and all people are going to look at you, and you're going to see, they're going to see me and you interacting and working, and they're going to want what you got, and they're going to want the God that you serve, and Jacob has 12 sons. Jacob changed his name to Israel, has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. They become the people of God. And God, and God but again, they, they, they do their thing. And one of the 12 kids is J- Joseph. And you remember the story of Joseph from the pit to the palace. He, his brothers throw him in a pit. He becomes the most, one of the most influential men in Egypt. And, 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 and he just provides supernaturally. And he brings his family back to Egypt. And they begin to prosper. And I mean, their crops do better. And their ways do better. And, and, and it's just, it's like the hand of God is on this one group of people. And again, it's to display his glory and to reveal his power so that everybody else will say, man, we want that. We got to have that. But they, 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 they rebel again and Joseph dies. And so, and so they go into slavery for 400 years and God raises up a guy by the name of Moses. Remember Moses? And Moses tries to lead the people out of Israel, and he goes back to Pharaoh, and they go through those ten plagues. What's that all about? Again, that's, that's, a, that's a, an illustration of the power of God. I'm going to do this so that the Egyptians never forget who I am, that they know that the gods they worship are so small in comparison to Jehovah God. And finally, Pharaoh says, okay, you can go. Then they go, and he changes their mind, his mind. They're at, the, they're at, the, they're at the, the shore of the Red Sea, Egyptians behind them, the sea before them. God miraculously parts the Red Sea. The people of God now that are in the millions walk across the water. The Egyptians follow. They're swallowed up by the sea. They're on the other side, man. They're, they're celebrating the horse and the rider is thrown into the sea. They're shaking tambourines and dancing and shouting and just the glory of God. We're never going to forget this. We're going to be your people forever. And they rebel. And they, they, they doesn't last long. God doesn't give them water. We should have went back to Egypt. God, they don't fed. I mean, they're just complaining. They sent out 12 spies. Can we conquer the land? Ten of them came back and said, there's no way. The people are too big. The land's too great. 
And God's like, are you kidding me? I just parted the Red Sea. I just poured water out of a rock. I sent you food from heaven. You mean these giants are too big? You're not going into the promised land, Moses, you and your generation. But your kids can. And so a new generation comes on the scene, and Joshua rises up, and he takes them into the promised land. And they start taking ground, and they start defeating enemies, and their name gets big. And then they go, we want a king. And God goes, I'm your king. You don't want a king. I'm your king. No, no, we want a king like the other nations. And so God gives them Saul. And Saul's not a good king. And Saul does some evil things. And he's got pride in his heart. And so God gives him David. And David is a good king. He's a man after God's own heart. But he also commits adultery and murder. So if you murdered anybody this week, it's, you're, you're, that gives you encouragement. Because he was a good king. And he, and he, did, and he did all that stuff. And David, David had a son by the name of Solomon. Are you still tracking with me? This is the Old Testament in like five minutes. This is awesome. He gets to Solomon. And Solomon marries all these foreign wives, like a bunch of them, like 700 of them and 300 concubines. Who does that? Who is crazy like that? But God allows Solomon to build this temple in Jerusalem. And the temple is to house the presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant. And, and Jerusalem is to be the city of God and, and a testimony to God's glory and power. And so Solomon builds it, and then Rehoboam, Solomon's son, divides the kingdom. He does some stupid stuff, and ten tribes go to the northern kingdom, which is Israel, and the capital is Samaria, and two tribes go to the southern kingdom, which is Judah, and the capital is Jerusalem, and they just start going buck wild. They got kings that don't love God, don't serve God. The southern's a little bit better because they got this one guy by the name of Hezekiah that's, that's trying to follow God. But God just, I mean, it, they're just not listening to him. They're not, they're not obeying him. And so he allows the Assyrians to conquer the northern kingdom and the Babylonians to conquer the southern kingdom. And all these Israelites, all these Jews go into exile. They go in, what, what they were, they're prisoners. Their, their city is torn down. Jerusalem it, by the Babylonians, is crushed. It's, it's mocked. They, they rid it of everything. They take out all the gold, all the silver, and they take it to the king of Babylon, and he puts it up in his castle like a mockery. Oh, they think their God is so big. And they're in exile for 70 years. And you go to Haggai. Haggai, Haggai under his leadership, a group of a Persian king now conquers the Babylonians, and he lets some of the Israelites, they go back to Jerusalem. And they start rebuilding, and they start repairing, and they start getting the temple back in order. And then Ezra allows, under his leadership, another group of Jews go back to Jerusalem. And they continue to rebuilding. And, the, and now we get to Nehemiah. So I said all that to get you now. Now it's 444 B.C., and, and Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's not a soldier. He's a cupbearer. He's like a butler. He's like a guy. There was all kinds of conspiracies back in that day. The king was always, like, fearful of his life. And so he had this guy. Before he took a sip of wine, Nehemiah had to take the first sip. Before he ate a piece of food, Nehemiah had to eat it first. So a dangerous job, but a pretty plus job because he had all, he had all the, the accommodations of this palace, and he had, and he had the presence 
of the king. So Nehemiah, a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. Are you with me? Jerusalem, they're building it. They're rebuilding it. They're trying to get it together. But it's, it's just not working the way they'd helped so. They said to me, those who survived the exile, they're back in the province and are great tr- they're in great trouble and disgrace. Well, why? why? What's going on? The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Walls were a means of protection. Walls were a, a means of security for outside forces. Without the walls being built, there was no protection. And, and it was just, I mean, they, they'd take a step and a, and a wicked army would come in and Jerusalem would go two steps back. And the people were discouraged and God's name was being blasphemed. And, and, and other nations were looking at, at God's people and saying, that's a weak God. Our God is so much stronger. And Nehemiah gets this report again. I don't mean to repeat myself. He's a thousand miles away living in the lap of luxury. But something breaks his heart for the people, for his people, and for his city. He has this Popeye moment. You, anybody remember Popeye? I'm about to age myself. I'm Popeye the sailor, man. That's when you're supposed to say tutu. You remember that? Yeah. I strong to the finish because I eat my. I'm Popeye the sailor, man. Tutu. Yeah. For all you young people, this is the cartoons we watched. And there was a guy, this guy Popeye had this girlfriend by the name of Olive Oil. And I don't know why he had her as a girlfriend, but I think because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But Olive Oil and Popeye, and he had this enemy by the name of Brutus. And Brutus would always steal Olive Oil, put her on a train track. I mean, every episode, Olive Oil got stole, Brutus was the the villain. And Popeye would say this, he'd say, I can't stand it no more. And he would squeeze his little spinach cup, and it would fly up in the air, and he'd open his mouth, and when the spinach went down, his arms would blow up, his chest would barrel out, his legs would get big, and he'd go and, and whoop up on Brutus, and he'd get olive oil back. It was like every, as every episode. And we think their cartoons are messed up now. I mean, that was our cartoons. We survived. And, 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 and Nehemiah had this Popeye moment. I can't stand it no more. I, he's, I can't take it any longer. You ever had a Popeye moment? When I was preparing for this, I remember when we first moved to Richmond in our first house, we had this neighbor across the street. He was an older man. He was just full of the devil. I, I mean, I, I'll tell you things. You wouldn't even believe it. I'm not going to tell you because it would just take too long. He was, just got to believe me, he was full of the devil. And I was sitting on my porch one day, and he, there was another lady beside him, Asian lady. Did, older lady, didn't speak much English, but sweet as pie. I mean, I'd go over there and talk to her. I don't know if she was cussing me out, but she was doing it sweet. I mean, she was sweet. Just her tone and everything about her. And she was blowing leaves. And a few leaves went on my demon-possessed neighbor's yard. And he goes in his backyard and gets a trash can of leaves and dumps them all over the sweet little Asian's yard. And I get up on my porch, and it's like, I can't take this anymore He's messed with the wrong woman on the wrong day. Enough is enough. I start running at him. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not proud of it. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, hey, God, I got so mad. Quit messing with that lady. If you want to pick on somebody, pick on me. Let's go right now. I mean, I, I, I would have got killed, but I didn't care. It was a Popeye moment until my neighbor came out of his house. He attended the church. Pastor. 
what's going on? He had to come over me, pull me back, calm me down. It was a Popeye moment. It, it's just, you know what I mean? I can't sit back. I'm not going to allow that mean old man to affect this sweet little woman. Nehemiah, I can't sit here in the lap of luxury anymore while my city is in ruins and my people are in distress. I can't stand it no more. So what does he do? Well, this is what he does. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. It broke his heart. He allowed the things that broke the heart of God to break his heart. He, he, you remember Jesus when he walked into the city of Jerusalem? He began to just weep and cry because he said, my people, they're like a sheep. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And his emotions just overcame him. And he couldn't, he just, just broke. This week I asked people on my contacts and my phone, I just asked them, a lot of them, I said, what breaks your heart? And here, here's some of the response that I got back. Kids without a dad, the suffering of the innocent, people who know Jesus but believe, live beneath his best, people so filled with shame because of their past or current struggles that they hide, scared to be seen as they are, division and lack of unity in, amongst people. My heart breaks for those who don't feel valued or loved or convinced that their lives matter. My heart breaks to see how Satan is bound, the incarcerated in their families. My heart breaks for young people that are lost and don't know Jesus. My heart breaks for marriages that are in crisis. My heart breaks for people that are not accessing all that God has for them. My heart breaks for the lack of value we put on human life. My heart breaks for young girls that are being trafficked, exploited, and used as sex slaves to line the pockets of pimps. My heart breaks for vulnerable kids that have been neglected, and abused, and rejected. My heart breaks for the addiction epidemic. My heart breaks for mental illness and brokenness and hurting people. I, I, want, I want to ask you this, this morning, this question. What breaks your heart? And when, and when, and when you know it, don't ignore it. Don't, don't, don't casualize your burden. Don't, well, somebody else will take care of it. It's, it's not my responsibility. I won't go. No, God gave that burden to you. God has broken your heart for a particular person, a particular thing. You didn't choose the burden. The burden chose you. If you allow the Lord to break your heart and burn you with a particular thing, this is what will happen. Your misery will become your ministry. What God breaks your heart for is what you'll get involved in. My heart breaks for abandoned, neglected, abused kids. My heart breaks for kids without a family. My heart breaks for the church as a whole. When in the scripture we're called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and a city set on a hill. That we're called to rescue people out of darkness into its marvelous light. And for, for, for many, that, that, that mandate, that mission has been passed on to a government or a, a local agency or a nonprofit organization or a parachurch ministry. The thing that we're supposed to be involved in, the thing that the church is supposed to be doing, we're not, that, that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when young pastors are quitting the ministry. 22,000 pastors across the United States quit every year because of discouragement and stress and conflict with parishioners and, and, and a lack of equipping. And, and, and I think it break, my heart breaks for that because I remember those days where, where, where it was challenging and you felt ill-equipped and, and, and under, under, you're not able to do what, what you feel like God has put on your heart. And you know, but here's the deal. I've allowed my, my misery to become my ministry. So, so now I advocate. Now I push foster care and adoption. And you, you say, Pastor, when are you going to stop talking about that? 
I'm going to stop talking about it when every kid in Chesterfield County has a home. Until that time, I'm going to keep advocating. I'm going to keep pushing it because it's our mandate. It's our purpose. It's what God has called the church to be, to care for the orphan. And we've adopted 11 kids this year. Clover Hell has. Through, let, me, let me, 11 kids this year. The Soldans, the Blaylocks, the Fugates, the Pollocks, the Blakelys, the Lowndes. 11 kids have been given a permanent home because of the brokenness of God's people. This week, because of the church, that it's my passion. And bro, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in your, if you're, if you're coming to a church to feel good, Get some goosebumps. That's all you want. You've come to the wrong church. I'm going to preach Jesus, and I'm going to talk about forgiveness, and I'm going to talk about grace, and I'm going to talk about his goodness, but I'm going to challenge you to be the church that God didn't save you just so you could stew, but to get up and make a difference for the glory of God, that he's got more for you, that, that I'm going to pull you, I'm going to push you, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to challenge you, I'm going to confront you so that you be all that God has intended and ordained and desired for you to be. Let your misery become your ministry. Nehemiah got down on his knees. He, got, he sat down and he wept. What broke the heart of God began to break his. What breaks your heart? And then he fasted and prayed. He sat down and cried. He knelt down and prayed. And, and, and let me, let's read his prayer. Let Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. I know what's going on in Jerusalem. I know what's going on with my people. I've just got a report. And God, you're the only one that can change it, and I need your help. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Nehemiah prayed for at least two things. He prayed for opportunity. He prayed for favor. He prayed for opportunity. If he was going to make a difference, he had to get the approval of a pagan king. He had to get, he had to get the go-ahead by a king whose, whose predecessor, predecessors are the ones who put Israel in bondage. So he had to, he had to approach this king and get, and, and get the faith. So he said, God, give me an opportunity to speak to him. Sometimes we pray for miracles and a greater prayer would be, God, give me an opportunity. Instead of praying, God, give my kids character, why don't we pray, God, give me an opportunity to, to create or to reveal or to impart character into their lives. Instead of praying, God, save my neighbor, why not, God, give me an opportunity to share my faith and, and to, to reveal to them the hope that I have on the inside of me. Nehemiah prayed, God, give me an opportunity to address the king. He, he's my ticket. He's our ticket. You're my ticket, but he's the, he's the roadblock to getting me where I need to be. And then God give me success because if he's not, I got to have success. I got to have favor. I need your favor, Lord. Four months later, this is, this is Nehemiah 1 in November. In the springtime, Four months later, Nehemiah goes to serve the king to do his duty. Standing around the king, he comes in sad. And the king asks, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? Again, I mean, you got to know the culture. You don't come into the presence of the king sad. That can get you killed. He thinks there's a plot against his life. He thinks you're up to something. He thinks there's something different about you. I mean, there's all this. 
all this stuff going on, all these, these, these people that are trying to kill the king, he's constantly on the edge of his seat, worried for his life. You just don't do that. And Nehemiah came in, and, and, and the king, and the king, four months after that prayer, I said to my king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? (laughs) There's the opportunity. What did Nehemiah do? Then I prayed. He didn't leave the presence of the king. He didn't go and get in his prayer closet. He just shot up a little prayer, a little flare prayer. God help me. I prayed for opportunity, and now you've given it to me, and now I can't screw this thing up. You got to be with me, God. You got to help me. I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send, say it, me, not not king, my, my people are in need. Will you send them some money? Lord, my, my city's in ruins. Will you send some construction workers? No, no. King, my city is disgraced. My people are discouraged. Will you send me? It's like Isaiah when he got into the presence of the Lord and, and, and the Lord said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah lifted his hands and said, Lord, send me. I'll be the one. I'll fill in the gap. See, Nehemiah sat down and got a burden for his people. He sat down and cried. He kneeled down and prayed for opportunity and favor. And then he stood up to act. He stood up to act. If somebody's going to do something, why can't it be me? If there's all this stuff going on all around me, if there's hurting I'm not just going to cry about it. I'm just not going to pray about it. I'm going to do something about it. The king, at the end of the story, I've got to tell it, not only does he give him a three-month leave of absence from his job, he funds the whole project. That's the power of prayer and the ability of one man to cry out to God and to God to help him. I'm praying for some of you this morning that you're going to get a burden for something that breaks the heart of God. It's going to keep you up at night. And you're going to use your money to expand God's kingdom. That you're going to use your pain to bring others peace. That you're going to use your life to make others better. That you're going to use your influence to promote God's agenda. That you're going to get a burden for a particular people, for a need that's not being met, that God's going to break your heart for what breaks his. This is not okay. You're going to have a Popeye moment. I can't stand it. This is all I can stand. I can't stand it no more. You're going to make it a matter of prayer, and then you're going to get up and act under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit, and your world is going to be different, and your God is going to be proud, and you're going to get the rush and the feeling of fulfilling your destiny and doing what God has called you to do for his glory and for his honor. Amen, everybody? He sat down and wept. He knelt down and prayed. He stood up to act. When Angie and I started our foster care journey off, those years ago, it, it wasn't on our radar. We were, my youngest was 14. My oldest had graduated from high school. 
My middle one was just, I mean, I was on easy street. And, and here, it was like everywhere I turned, this was being thrown in my face. You know, does anybody, don't raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about? Maybe not this issue, but a issue. It's that every time you open up the Bible, it was just jumping out at me. It became my burden. It became, and so Angie and, I, and Angie's burden. And I, I mean, I couldn't even watch Hotel for Dogs because there were some foster kids in it. And every time I watched, it was supposed to be a comical, and I, I'd cry. I mean, just that my heart was just broke for it. And so Angie and I, we went to class. Her heart was broke. I mean, we were just a mess. And, and, and we went to class to get ready. And right around that same time, Stephen Curtis Chapman, he was a singer, and he adopted a few kids from China. And one of the kids died in a tragic accident. And it was like, I don't know, it was just like that, that situation just opened up our heart. And so we went and got trained, and it was a year before we got our first placement. And we got our first placement, and a little boy came into our house, and un, we just weren't ready for it. We thought you just had to love him, and we, we were so ill-equipped and unprepared. And it was, it, it, was, it was a strain, it was a stress, it was tough. And so Angie started studying. She, she was like a sponge, reading every book, looking, listening to every podcast, going to every training. I mean, she made it her mission, her goal to learn how to create an environment for these kids to, to flourish and to succeed. And, and she started passing along to me. And then we started advocating. We started promoting it. But what we were finding out is these kids were coming to these homes that weren't prepared. Oh, they loved them. And, and, and it was a burden that God had given them. But they didn't know the, the, the stuff that comes along with it. Especially from an abandoned, neglected, or abused kid. And so there was just all, and so Angie said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. We, we can't have kids going in and out of homes. They can't be displaced every six months. This is not acceptable. Stan, we got to do something about this. So she developed a network and she started training people on, on this empower to connect, how to connect with these children, how to, how to, how to raise kids that, that have come from difficult places. It, her, her misery, her burden became her ministry. And now, because of a lot of the stuff she's done, people are, and everybody's done, people are getting influenced and touched. Just, I talked with Brian and Heather Mayer this week. Early on, or years before, they, both of them went through a pretty nasty divorce, and they, they dealt with all the guilt and all the shame that the devil beats up, beats on you with, and messes with you and and they made it through it and then they met each other and got married and now they have a wonderful marriage and God's really blessed them and and they they their misery is I don't want to see marriages go through what we went through I don't want them to suffer I want them to I don't want them to just endure I want them to enjoy marriage so they went out and got some training and now they they sit across from couples in crisis and they share their stories and they share their principles because they've said I can't stand this no more if somebody I gotta do something Amanda Chase is, is a Virginia senator and, and uh, several years ago just, just disturbed about the plight of Virginia and the Commonwealth, of the direction it was headed and, and what was going on and, and our public school systems and all that was. And, and she felt like God said, you're to run for senator. And all the excuses came. Well, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough influence. I don't have enough clout. I don't know the right people. I, how's this going to happen? But she stepped out in faith and she did it and Lo and behold, she won it, and now she's in the Senate uh, championing babies before they're born and championing Christian liberties and championing your family and out trying to make a difference for the glory of God. Her, her misery became her ministry. 
what breaks your heart? Pastor, I'm too old. Abraham was 100. Pastor, I'm too young. David was 16 when he killed Goliath. I'm not smart enough. Welcome to my world. I had three years of Spanish, and I got through Spanish one. I don't have the right personality. Peter was enthusiastic, active, outgoing, and social. Paul was independent, decisive, and goal-oriented. Moses was analytical, detailed, and introverted. Mark was relaxed, quiet, and easygoing, and God used them all. The need's just too overwhelming. You can't do everything, but you can do something. You can't adopt every kid, but you can adopt one kid. You can't feed every hungry kid, but you can feed one. I can't encourage every struggling pastor, but I can encourage a few. I can't rally every church to make a difference, but I can rally this one. We can do something for the glory of God. My prayer is Clover Hill will be full of a a group of people who care, who will get outside themselves, who are going to let God break their hearts, who are going to get on their knees in prayer and then stand up under his power and his influence to make a difference for the glory of God. September 11, 2001, two planes had already crashed into the World Trade Center. Another plane crashed into the Pentagon. Todd Beamer was on a fourth plane. He was 32 years old. He had two kids back home. And they got, they got word of the terrorist attack. They got word of what was going on. And then they understood what was happening on their plane. A bunch of thugs were overtaking it and had planned to crash it into another site, potentially killing thousands of people. There's a recording of Todd Beamer talking to his phone, the last call he made. Baby, I love you. I want you to know I'm thinking about you right now. Will you let the kids know how proud I, have, I, I am of them? Will you let them know how much I love them? Went on for a few minutes later, and then the last words that come out of his mouth were, let's roll. And with that, eight passengers bum-rushed those, those, uh, those terrorists and, and overtook them and got them out of the cop- cockpit. They weren't able to land the plane, but the plane crashed in a Pennsylvania cornfield, really potentially saving thousands of lives. Todd Beamer and a group of people were willing to give their life for a sacrifice for others. There are people all around us that are in need of Jesus. There's people in prisons that need to be visited. There's elderly in retirement communities that need a card. There are kids that need adopting. There's kids that need feeding. There's marriages that need restoring. There's there's people that need encouraging. My prayers will have a Popeye moment. I can't stand this no more. And then we'll say in our spirits, let's roll. Let's do it for the glory of God. Amen, everybody. Stand to your feet with me, will you? Why don't you ask yourself this question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. What are you saying, God? What do you want to do in us and through us and with us? With your heads bowed and your eyes shut, you say, Pastor, man, I want my life to count. I want to make a difference. I I want to be like Nehemiah, and and, and I want to stand up and act. I, I want my heart to be burdened with the things that burden the heart of God. And I don't just want to pray about it. I want to do something about it. 
whatever that means. Would you, would you again, with your heads bowed, your eyes shut, you just raise your hand. I want to I pray for you. Is anybody? Lord, you see the hands. You see the people. God, just keep your hand up for a minute. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd empower them by your spirit, that you'd fill them with your presence, God, that you would break their heart for what breaks the heart of God, that you would cause them in Jesus' name to, to, to catch such a burden that it will, it, it will rearrange their life for your glory and for your honor. That because of their influence and their impact, lives will be touched and homes will be changed and people will never be the same because of them, God, I ask. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know what the greatest burden that any man ever knew? It was the burden of Jesus. Jesus had such a burden for lost people. He had such a burden for people that were disconnected from God. And so he, he didn't kneel down to pray first. He left heaven and came to earth. And he lived a perfect life and he died on a cross. He stretched out his arms for our sin. He was so passionate. He was so burdened about you not dying and going to hell. He was so burdened about you not having to live life apart from God. He was so burdened for you not experiencing God's best that he was willing to give his life for. And they buried him. They put him in a grave. But, but three days later, he rose from that, that same grave. And, and, and because of it, he has the power to forgive you. He has the power to free you. He has the power to make you whole and make you new. And now he's beside the Father interceding for you and us and me. And I, I got a feeling he's up there praying, God, Right there at Clover Hill, there's that one that's not serving you. There's that one that's distant from you. God, Holy Spirit, go get them. Save them. Save them. Help them in Jesus' name. Do it today, Lord. Man, why don't, why don't you be an answer to Jesus' prayer this morning? Why don't you receive him? Why don't you accept him? Why don't you choose to walk with him? If he thought you were worth dying for, he's worth living for. He's worth honoring and surrendering your heart to. Pastor, help me. What do I do? You... You just pray, Lord, forgive me. Lord, Lord, cleanse me. If you're watching online and, you're, and that, that, that screen has so gripped you, right where you are, Jesus, I need you today. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your love. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Be the leader and Lord of my life. This is what I would do. I would, I would just raise my hands and I'd say, God, I, I give you my life. Lord, I surrender my will. I bow my knee to the living God. Be my forgiver. Be my, be my leader. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name.